C.E. Cake by the Ocean here on Open for Business. Now, normally you'd have Adrian introducing the show. It is it is the Open for Business show hosted by Adrian Price, who always describes himself as the man with the perfect face for radio or something along the lines. Unfortunately, he's had an action-packed day doing what Adrian does, which is fantastic business networking, engaging, supporting local businesses and all of his national stuff he does as well. So I'm doing a little bit of an intro. This show is also very different because we've got three lots of student-based interviews 
that have come from the BA International Management Students uh, second year. As part of their uh, studies, they have to produce a radio interview uh, in the style of Open for Business, all related to themes around um, you know trading or doing business internationally, particularly going off and finding somebody from business to interview and ask them questions and how it also relates back to the theories that they're being taught. So here are three of the student groups. We did play one a couple of weeks ago, but here are three student groups coming uh, coming to you for over the next couple of hours uh, here on NLive Radio Open for Business. That'll be it that you'll hear from me. You'll just be hearing from them uh, between now and nine o'clock. And then obviously from nine o'clock, it's Audrey Tang with the Wellbeing Hour. If you want to find out more and have a chat with adrian then do feel free to get in touch in fact the easiest way because i can always forward the email on hello at nliveradio.com particularly if you're a local business and you want to come on and come on open for business and tell us what you do and all that kind of stuff adrian did pick most of the music as well including this billy ocean red light spells danger uh, and then you'll be hearing from the first student group here on nlive radio <music> Feel the heat 
My name is Callum, an international business student from the University of Northampton, and you are listening to NLive Radio 106.9 FM. Coming up is an interview with Nana, a HR manager at Toyota, where we discuss their CSR or corporate social responsibility efforts and its approach to stakeholders. This is conducted by myself and colleagues from my class, Wendy and Sheeran. Now, a bit open for business listeners, you may remember our voices from an April installment of the show where we were in Barcelona with the man himself, Adrian Price. Now, I don't like to give spoilers, but Edward Freeman, the man behind stakeholder theory, would be a happy man with Toyota's stakeholder efforts. They'd like to keep everything interconnected. Now, I'm not going to spoil too much. All of that's come on in live radio. Stick around. As a part of our university assignment, I'm here with Nana. My name is Callum, and I'm here with my colleagues, Wendy and Shirin. Um, Nana, would you like to introduce yourself just briefly? So my name is Nana Anyamfoyjan. I work for Toyota Financial Services as a HR manager for Europe and Africa region. Lovely. Thank you for that. So this interview is going to be focused on CSR, um, what Toyota does for the communities, um, just very briefly. So without further ado, I'd like to get into the interview. Um, so just to start off very easily, how does Toyota contribute to society with its local communities? Um, what sort of impact does it have with its communities? Okay. So begin by saying that Toyota is very conscious of the environmental impacts of just our business module to begin with. So in most instances, if you think about the environment, we are the forerunners when it comes to finding vehicles that are, are more friendly to the environment. So obviously electric is everywhere now and everyone is into electric, but Toyota was the first company to introduce the hydrogen cell cars, which are more kinder to the environment than electric is. And it is taking a bit of time for governments to pick up on the infrastructure that's required for those cars to be rolled out. But we are committed to it regardless of impacts on profits, impacts on our business, we're still pushing that because that's much better for the environment than electric cars. We've always set up our businesses in areas where there is less impact on the environment, so we would never attract a, a site where there is a purpose for building houses for the community, for example, or it's got more trees, a certain percentage of trees that needs to be cut down. We wouldn't do that. In addition to that, if we build a factory or an office anywhere else, we always make sure that it's embedded into the surrounding area. So we call them eco-friendly buildings. We make sure that we take what the landscape looks like, what we can get from the land and what we can put back in. So if I take our um, eco headquarters in Epson in London, is the whole site was built in conjunction with Kew Gardens. So on the premises, we've got wild gardens to make sure that even the animals or insects that were originally on the site are not sort of eradicated that they can still live on the land whilst we are there as well so living closely with them i see so you're very closely monitoring the impact that your buildings would have to the environment and local communities i see so you mentioned that toyota was a front runner with electric cars and different with electric cars but hydrogen sorry hydrogen cars um have we seen any consumer trends is this popular with consumers at the minute or is this sort of upcoming Okay. Not with closeliness because of what I mentioned about infrastructure. So yes. the hydrogen cell cars need filling stations that don't sell petrol or diesel, but sell hydrogen. Okay. Because all they use is hydrogen, and that's what it needs. In London, the transport for London is our biggest um, customer because all the um, cars they use in terms of 
the surveillance of where buses are, repairing buses, are these hydrogen cell cars. They have a filling station there, and of course, London, there's only four filling stations that have got a hydrogen cell car. This is an aspect that we have to work closely with governments to implement the infrastructure that's needed for everyone to use it. So I see. So it's very unique. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Lovely. We have a affiliate station, so as an employee, if you want to have one, you can't have one. Yes. But then it means that every time you have to fill your car, you have to go all the way to the <laughs> Uh, like, I don't want to do that. I know I don't want to do that, but <laughs> it's much better for the environment. Yeah. I see. But it's not only that. Almost all our cars are hybrid cars. So um, it uses petrol, but it's self-charging hybrid. Where it can charge itself. So if you are in like a 20-mile zone, you can drive without your petrol or your diesel if you're driving on hydrogen and um, hybrid cars. So we are very conscious of the impacts that our business has on the environment. And in support of that, we donate a lot to woodland trusts in terms of making sure that certain woodlands are maintained and they carry on removing some pollution from the environment. We do accept the fact that it doesn't remove everything, yeah. but it's an effort that we make. Absolutely. So there's it. effort regardless. Yeah. So I was going to say exactly. that that um, talking about the environment, um, I think that also correlates with our next question, which was how does your company respond um, to waste and reducing pollution? So I think you were just talking about being yeah, aware. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, yes. And one of the biggest things that we've done in the last three, um, three years, and I have to say that Toyota has a target. We have um, the Eco 2042 targets where we would remove a certain percentage of the waste from all our um, factories, offices, across the world. And this is something that every entity is working towards. The office that I work in, for about two years now, they're not plastic cups. If you want a coffee, you have to get an actual mug and wash it. Yeah. It was a big transition for employees. <laughs> and think about this, about 2,000 people on the campus. Yeah. I like, see. There are days that I go to the office that I don't, like, I'm not washing the cups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe bring, like, a portable cup with you and then... Yeah. yeah. But yeah. they went sad that they bought, you know, those chili bottles? Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every employee received one and every new staff answer gets a set. So you get a coffee cup and you get a bottle. Okay. There are filtration stations all across the site and you yeah. can fill up wherever you want. I see. But... Before, you know when there's those cooling machines? Yeah. Yeah. Like the caps, that doesn't exist in our building anymore. So, okay. it's not just to make, in most of our sites, that's what we do to make sure that the waste that we are producing on our sites is also cut drastically. All linked to the aim of achieving our equal targets. When it coming in, it's a global target, so everyone has to contribute. Yeah, so it's worldwide, not yeah. just the UK. And from what you said, it seems that the company is applying this sort of eco-friendly outlook across all stakeholders. Um, with certain stakeholders, I noticed that um, you mentioned that employees get the reusable uh, cups as they start. Um, do you think this is the company trying to get ahead of the curve to ensure that it as a prevention method rather than trying to fix damage already done? It's more preventative. I completely agree. Damage has already been done, um, whether it's Toyota or any other company. Absolutely, I think yes. We're blindsided to the impact of some of the things that we do as humans. Yeah. But now that we know, we know better and we have to do better. So I think it's an effort that we're trying to cut across. And I mean... It is challenging. Even with employees, it's challenging, but you can think about our dealers. So all the dealers that sell our cars, they are franchises. We don't own them, but we still enforce that you have to cut 
ways to a certain percentage. So we have targets for all of them. But if you want to be our brand and hold our brand, that this is what we expect from you. Yeah. It's not always easy for them to meet the target. Sometimes yes. they have to support it financially, but it's something we're passionate about. So we push through. So even externally, the company is looking to implement. That yes. is wonderful. Great. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. As you were saying about my, you were talking more about your franchise, but I just want to say that to your shareholders. So um, how do you, um, how does CETA respond to the feedback that you get from your shareholders? For example, the franchise that you're talking about and then the customers that you... So our shareholders are very different. So the shareholders um, really are on board with the strategy. So most of our strategic direction is set by our head office in Japan, mm. which then gets cascaded down to the regions, whether it's the Americas region or Europe. And then we pick up on it and cut it down. Shareholders are very much a part of the decision-making and they are on board with the direction that we want to go with. When it comes to our customers and our franchises, that is quite different because we don't have full control over this aspect. Mm. But like I said, with the franchises, which is mainly the dealers who actually sell our cars in any country or in any city that you go to, because they have to have our brand, they have to have the Toyota or the Lexus brand in front of the building, we provide them finance for the cars on their four ports. Because of that, we have a certain level of targets that we set them. And they're basic things like the Toyota way of working, where respect is a big thing. And we ensure that they get the training that they need to make sure that when a customer comes through the door, they'll be seeing the standard of level that we expect a Toyota brand to give. Mm. And in line with that, we also push our equal agenda in terms of the kind of things they use. So like if you go to any um, Lexus dealer right now, they would only have actual breakable marks on the premises. Working with external companies can always be challenging. But when there are targets that they have to meet in order to get the support that they get from us, or just basically to maintain using our brand, yeah, that is all the buy-in that we use to get them on board. And in terms of our customer base, I would have to say that Toyota customer base tends to be quite conscientious in the sense that if you have a Toyota, and this is something we're trying to change, you're of a certain age. We're trying to change this demographic with the eye goal that we've introduced and the CHR. Those guys are more for the young generation. Yeah, yeah. Generation, okay. yeah. yeah. But a lot of our cars, um, people of a certain age, so they're already conscious of their impact on the environment. They care more about what they can do. And most importantly, they don't care about paying a little extra to give the environment that benefits. As opposed to, like, if you're asking to pay for something like 10 years ago, I wouldn't. Yeah. Because the other idea want to, I couldn't afford to. Absolutely. So there's a difference there. So our customer base, which we're trying to expand, and in terms of the young population, we're trying to entice them with hybrid cars. Mm. That doesn't cost you a fortune, but looks stylish and gives you the rev that you want, which is very important to that demographic. Yeah. Absolutely, but, so appealing to a younger demographic in order to also yes. achieve your CSR. Um, we try to make being kind, being respectful and of people and the environment cool. We're not getting there, but we're trying. <laughs> yeah, keep yeah. it a trend and def- people will definitely yeah, agree to yeah, it. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's wonderful. Um, so one of the next questions that we had for you uh, was how does Toyota approach uh, research and development investments um, to stay competitive in the automotive industry uh, across the world? So for us, um, we invest heavily 
in research. Yeah. And, and a lot of that always originates from what the benefits to our customer base is. Yeah. So, for example, recently we've become one of the sponsors of the Olympic Games. And we started with the Paralympics and we're sponsoring the Olympics itself now. But that came from a bit of research that was done into mobility. So, four years ago, um, Akio Toyoda, who is the president of Toyota Worldwide, developed a passion of making everyone mobile. So, mobility for all was his slogan. We, pro- we produce cars that not every disabled person can drive. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And we, that is the... Yeah our bread and butter, but we spent a lot of time doing research into what we can do to make people mobile. Then now we have an all, a whole arm that doesn't produce cars. It produces robotics, things like the a leg for an amputee or um, a car that an amputee can fit in and it's like a two-wheeler that can get them from A to B. Yeah. A lot of time is spent in investment into research to make sure that what we're producing not only is beneficial to the end customer but also kind to the environment and in the places where we need to produce them because there's a lot of stuff that can be produced in Japan that would be beneficial to the people but not might not necessarily translate to people in Kazakhstan so we will do research in Kazakhstan yeah. to find out yeah. what that market needs and what fits that market I see yeah. so Nana your CSR efforts it seems like you intertwine your stakeholders and the environment it'll impact um, across pretty much everything you said, I think, um, trying to make everyone inclusive. So your research and development into um, arms and legs for amputees, it seems like yeah. you're trying to include everyone into the company, very stakeholder focused. Yeah, and you're yeah. like taking into consideration like the diversity of everyone and you're trying to incorporate something that your company can offer to a whole range of people yeah and not all the companies do that it's really it's like really unique to toyota to just have that diversity yeah yeah Yeah. a shining example of stakeholder theory i think this is yeah 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 Yeah. i think it's really important to us in terms of mobility for all this has been our vision for a while we do really focus on mobility for all in terms of inclusion we this is a work in progress for us because as you can appreciate Toyota as a manufacturing company is a very male-dominated industry. So yeah. um, I think anyone would have seen the photos from a few years ago where there was a board of rioters meeting in Japan that was completely male. white male. Yeah. yeah. Only it was line and we've done, yes. We've done a lot of work since then. We're not there. We're nowhere near there yet. We've got a number of female CEOs, more mixed-color senior management now, and it's something that we're working on. But in terms of mobility... I would say that we've been an inclusive organization from the very beginning. But in terms of diversity of thought and people in our senior management team, that's something we're working on. And we're making progress. Compared to other companies, we're far behind, but we're working on it. I see. Um, yeah, but I was going to say, it's good to see how you're treating um, not only your companies um that are from like a diverse background but also your employees that are from a diverse background um regardless of like their age and gender and ethnicity it's nice to see that toyota is um like now incorporating people from all kind of backgrounds yeah, yeah. and it does say it's a conscious effort yeah so i've been working here for eight years as i can use myself when the first time i went for the interview i knew they didn't take the job i didn't take the job purely because i walked into this massive building and i didn't see anyone that looked like me it was on my second interview that I saw someone else and I thought, okay, maybe it would work. Then I had a shot with it and I realized that people weren't what I thought they were. 
Yes. So I thought maybe I'd make it work. Yeah, now yeah. as you walk around the building, there's a lot more people that look like me. Yeah. But it was also the fact that at a point, no one wanted to be the guinea pig. Like I wouldn't take the job because I didn't want to go there and be the one that had to answer for everyone of minority. Yeah. But, but it takes time. So they're working on it. And it wasn't, I, we, it wasn't a conscious thing to exclude people of a certain landscape. It just wasn't visible. And now that they have the visibility, we're working on it. Great. That's so the really awareness good, yeah. has come forward. What yeah. sort of changes have you seen now that the workplace is becoming more diverse? Perceives diversity of thought, and I think it directly links to our customer base. So we make a lot of decisions on products, on services that impact our customers. If you have only a group of people of a certain diet and I race, yeah, there's certain things that they like, and that's the way we push through. But when you have a variety of people, you get different of opinion. Like my growing up will be different from yours and then Definitely. my idea yeah. of what a car should look like will be different from yours so then we can match that together like if you think about finance products taking a loan in my culture is frowned upon but in certain cultures it's not frowned upon mm-hmm. yes. how do we entice someone like me to take a loan and someone that sort of thing has it's really enriched us yeah. and we have more and better ideas i have to say yeah than we have and I mean, I am proud to say that we have quite a few female CEOs across a number of our countries now. So that has also made a big change. Yeah, Yeah. variety of culture. I think it definitely opens up a company to various opinions, different ways of thought. And I think being so stuck on having the same demographic, same culture, I think that creates a problem where everyone gets sort of stuck in the same way of thinking. So it's great to hear that that cultural diversity has sort of opened up Toyota to various ideas and new people yeah um nana i just also wanted to add um just before we started interviewing you um uh you said something about um employing people i think was it about 75 percent of people from a certain demographic this is just this is really for our um, factory so if you think about okay so i'll use the uk because i work in a regional function i see a lot of the country but in this example i use the uk we have a factory in Beniston and a factory in Teesside. So one produces cars, one produces parts. The bulk of the employees have to be local. We do think about people's commute to work. So we do like to make sure that there's a certain mileage to the work. But also we want to make sure that if we're building in any area, that we're bringing wealth into the area. So we'd like to employ locally and make sure that a quarter of the employees are from that local area and therefore enhance in that area that we are building into and putting back into the community. Like, if I take Belgium, I personally set up an office in Belgium two years ago, and 90% of the employees I took were from the local area, not just from Belgium, but actually from Vanum in the area that our office was yeah. in. So one, it's easy to commute. It's more cost-effective for us. People are more efficient when they're not stressing, yeah. so they can get to work easily. But yes, we do leave a certain percentage for experience because we do need to bring in people that understand our business know how to do the work already to be able to train people so i see that would also impact your um csr responsibility employing people locally creating jobs in the areas yeah exactly jobs yeah so just looking out for your environment that you're working in yes but there's a business leader to them as well because local you cannot pay for local you can't teach local knowledge yeah if you don't people you will less something 
it's yeah. shorter, yeah. Um, Nana, I just wanted to say we're running out of time now. Um, I just wanted to, I, I think we could all speak to you for the rest of the day, but, um, we're just running out of time now. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you for your time. Uh, we appreciate all the information that you've given to us. Um, and there we go. We have an interview from Nana who works at Toyota. Um, and this interview was explicitly done for N Live Radio, um, which will be aired at some point. Um, but thank you so much, Nana, for joining us. N Live's Community Notice Board, sponsored by Voluntary Impact Northamptonshire, supporting existing and helping to launch good neighbour schemes across Northampton. Home Start Northampton supports families with young children. They provide expert support helping families through their challenging times. Home Start is there for parents when they need them the most because childhood can't wait. Volunteers offer support, friendship and practical help to families under stress in their own homes, preventing family crisis and breakdown. If you are a parent, grandparent or step-parent with experience of young children and family life and are able to visit a Northampton family for two to three hours each week, then get in contact. Call them on 01604 627 N Live's Community Notice Board, sponsored by Voluntary Impact Northamptonshire, supporting existing and helping to launch good neighbour schemes across Northampton. To get your message on air, email noticeboard at nliveradio.com. 106.9 N Live. At NNBN, we support local businesses, charities and organisations. We bring local people together. We promote growth and success and we support our members. NNBN has a proven track record in helping members of our community get seen and be heard. It costs from just £20 a month to become a member and you'll benefit from advertising, events, engagement, support and money-saving discounts. If you're a local business, charity or organisation, join us today at nnbn.co.uk. When business owners, directors and key decision makers want to know what's happening in Northamptonshire, they turn to Business Times. Over 10,000 copies are delivered every month and the pages are filled with positive local business stories. Respected, trusted and always relevant. Business Times is the perfect way to get your business in front of the people that matter. So get Business Times working for you. Click business-times.co.uk. Business Times. Positive about business in North Hands. 106.9 N Live. They were pretty smart, but you got being right down to an art. You think you're a genius, you drive me up the wall. You're a regular original, I know it all. Okay, so you're a rocket scientist. That don't impress me much. So you got the brains, but have you got the touch? Now don't get me wrong, yeah, I think you're alright. But that will keep me warm in the middle of the night. That don't impress me much. Just in case, and all that extra 
Twain, that don't impress me much. I don't know if I've got that. Don't impress me much. Impress me. I don't know where that came from. Here on N Live Radio, open for business show, normally hosted by Adrian. He has collected, collated, should I say, the music um, and su- supplied the interviews. But there are interviews with a difference if you've been listening. They are from second year students from the BA International Management uh, course. Uh, they, uh, as part of their course, uh, they go off and do trips. I think they've already been off to Barcelona. I think they're going to vietnam later on this year because it's all about understanding how business between country works but also how businesses in different countries work and tonight we we've got three of the uh, three of the shows uh three of the interviews from students and uh, you're going to be listening to the next couple over the next 20 minutes or so here on the open for business show on n live radio
Hello everybody, my name is Olivia and I'm joined here with my colleagues Ella and Maria as part of our university assignment. We're here joined by Tom van der Hayden and we're here to talk about his international company. Could you please um, introduce yourself and your company to the audience? Yes, uh, thank you very much. Well, in the first place, I'd like to thank you for having me. Um, so my name is indeed Tom van der Hayden. I'm a Belgian citizen but living in Barcelona for uh, quite some years uh, by now and uh, for the last 20 years uh, I have been the uh, co-founder and CEO of Strategic Sourcing Solutions or as we call it uh, SV Group it's a bit shorter on the phone yes, and um, we are basically a consultancy helping uh, businesses to work overseas um, and our focus is particularly as the longer version of our company name already indicates is sourcing activities uh, which in our case is mostly focused on China and uh, we work with customers in mostly in Europe uh, with uh, obviously since we are based uh, among others in Spain we work quite a bit with customers in Spain but we also work with other countries uh, in uh, in Europe and uh, what we do basically is we help uh, businesses who either wish to start or improve their uh, sourcing purchasing activities in uh, countries like China because um, regardless of uh, uh, artificial intelligence of better communications of every type of tools uh, this is still uh, an activity with which a lot of companies struggle uh, and particularly we work with quite some businesses who used to source directly but uh, were unhappy with uh, certain uh, performances of suppliers also maybe issues with communications, issues with quality, whatever. And eventually, they prefer to deal with somebody who specialized in the field. And that would be us, for instance. Uh, that, um, thank you very much for sharing this um, with us. Um, on to the next question. So um, you did mention that you started this business about 20 years ago. That is a long time. Yeah. Um, just, you know, it's like just thinking back. What um like what kind of challenges did you face when entering the Chinese market, and how did you overcome it back then, back twenty years ago, and even now, do you still face these these challenges? Right. Well, I think um, it's an excellent question because uh, it, it it will allow me to to talk about probably what I still find the most difficult part in having a business or having a company. Um, um, and if you probably talk to other entrepreneurs, uh, quite a few will most likely tell you something similar. I think um, it's um, it's always possible at a certain point to find technical expertise, whether that is in finance, marketing, operations, uh, whatever it is, you can find that expertise. But what I always have found the most difficult part in a business are the people. Uh, the human resources. I've had um, excellent people that I've uh, hired, but with low expectations, and I wasn't entirely sure what I was getting on board, but I thought, let's give it a try. And But I've also had huge disappointments uh, with people that uh, looked to me, uh, even in interviews, that I was about to hire Superman. And eventually they heavily disappointed me. And so I found that a big challenge, particularly because dealing with China, um, 
the culture is so different. Uh, the, the, the way people think about careers, about money, about uh, how they would like to develop. Uh, it's all very different from what we are used to. Even in Europe, I think there would be differences, but more or less you get a feel of that. Um, but um, but with China, it's even more difficult, no? So I've, um, uh, I, I found that a challenge. Um, I find uh, people management, uh, choosing the right people, uh, right partners, right uh, employees, really very difficult. Um, and I mean, even over time, I, I think I have a bit of a better feel uh, about it right now, but I still find it challenging. So uh, I think finance, you can... You can study uh, marketing. You can study, or you uh, you outsource certain things, operations, uh, all of this. I think it's all uh, fairly technical. But when dealing with people, uh, also because even you can have people who on paper look perfect, even if you meet them, they look okay. I had one issue at a certain moment about ten years ago when I hired somebody uh, it was not Chinese, uh, but um, who was apparently perfect, but it turned out to be a fairly lazy person. And if you have a lazy person when you are based in London and you have a lazy person in the office in Manchester, well, you just drive to Manchester, you make it clear that this is the last time, and you fix it. But if you have a lazy person on the other side of the world, it's much more difficult to manage, you know? So you stick to that person a longer time, and eventually it damages your business a lot. And by the time you take the decision to to fire that person, maybe it's too late. The damage to the business has been too much. So I've been through these type of experiences, and uh, I find that really hard. Obviously, the bigger you become, the less uh, impact there might be of one particular person on the business. I know that. But in business, I tend to think small is beautiful. And uh, keep it simple, no? But then, of course, you depend more on those few people. No. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, that's very great. So um, thank you very much for sharing that um, with us again. So um, on to my next question um, is how did you ensure that your sourcing activities comply with international trade regulations and standards? Well, you touch upon a point that is uh, even more present now mm-hmm. than ever yeah. before. Uh, I can assure you we get quite a bit of uh, leads through our website and mm. uh and other sources, but easily half of the calls that we get are uh, about from people who have run into some regulatory issues mm. or customs problems. Yeah, and a lot of them they uh, they are so specific that actually they are beyond what we are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, easily uh, eighty ninety percent of these calls, I have to I have to tell people, sorry, I can't help you uh, because there's more and more regulations. There's more and more red tape in, in these uh, type of uh, processes. So it definitely is also for our team a constant catching up, given certain geopolitical things that are happening. Also, the UK is confronted with a lot of new regulations. But to give you an example, fairly recently, it's uh, come to our attention that, for instance, for imports of uh, metal products, not all of them, but there's a number of uh, tariff codes that are affected. Uh, one needs to be able to prove to customs upon arrival in the, in Europe that these products have not been made with steel that uh, have been supplied by Russian sources. Uh, that has to do with the Russian-Ukraine conflict, no? Yes. So that is part of the sanctions, basically, mm-hmm. no? The sanctions package. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, for a number of products, 
we now need to come up with uh, certificates uh, from Chinese factories saying that the steel is actually Chinese or whatever it comes from, it's probably Chinese. And it not, it's not from Russia, no? And there's a lot of these things. Now, the very new thing that the European Union is, is starting has to do with the uh, carbon footprint, which probably is all for the better, okay? So I'm not, I'm not criticizing any of these things, but uh, it basically makes it all much more complicated, no? Uh, and uh, so now for a number of products, again, a number of tariff codes, it's not for everything, but they're just kind of testing the waters. They're um, working with a couple of products. And now we need to show what is the carbon footprint of these things. Mm-hmm. And there's a tax related to that, no? Um, last year, a new thing had to do with, I think, non-recycled plastic that comes with products. And that's, for instance, the packaging. Mm-hmm. It can be packaging. Uh, it can be straps around pallets. Mm-hmm. And, oh, per kilo, you have to pay a tax. I mean, the import has to pay a tax. But that information has to appear on official documents as well. So that's just three examples that come to the top of my mind just from the last 12 months, more or less. But at the same time, and this may sound a bit awkward uh, for a, a non-business uh, audience, maybe, okay, well, <laughs> most, most people are somehow in that direction. Uh, the more complicated, the better for companies like us, of course, because uh, uh, um, other people depend more on somebody who can solve these things. Uh, if it all would be easy, there would be no need for uh, for consultants no, or companies who are dedicated to these things. No? So it's a two-sided sword, I would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does seem very complicated if you're talking, if you have to um, to get you know, the tariffs, the quotas, everything in place to be able to to ship or to export your your products from one country to another and with the war and every um, with the with the conflict between yeah. Ukraine and yeah. and Russia, it can be really stressful. It's like having an equilibrium between trades between two countries that have varying specialities and natural resources. Just like you mentioned in China um, it's like you go and source most of your products from China. So mm-hmm. then, yes, then China um, is more specialized in certain types of products or services that that can be sourced from um, from there and to be given to to the companies in Spain or Europe or everything. Yeah. So we can talk about the advant and the absolute advantage. Yeah, yeah. Theory and then the cartoon as well. Yeah, we could talk about yeah. those theories. Yeah, yeah. but we don't yeah. have time. For yeah, that. we could talk about it all theories. But we don't have yeah. <laughs> comparative advantage. Yeah. Um, as I saw in your previous responses, you seem to be a very person orientated uh, person. Um, talking about how some disappointed, how some exceeded your expectations. So I just want to talk about how. Do you go about building and maintaining the strong relationships with the Asian suppliers, considering the differences in the cultures? Okay, good point. Uh, what in how we do it in in my company, but obviously uh, other people can do different things. Uh, we work very much based on the principle that uh, customers, on let's say, call it the Western side, they prefer to deal with people here in the West. Mm-hmm. We have it here. And it's their uh, sole job to to uh, be in constant contact with our customers, understanding exactly what they want, mm-hmm. their exact requirements, technically, in terms of logistics, all these sort of things. And then we have a team over there 
in China, based in, in Shanghai to be precise, that deals exclusively with factories. Okay, <laughs> and they are all Chinese, and uh, actually all uh, Chinese women. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, very that's good. very yeah. empowering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so they deal directly with the factory, and it's in-house mm -hmm. uh, that we create that bridge. Okay, mm -hmm. so we never have a customer talk to uh, any of the people in China, yeah. nor the factories usually talk with us in uh, in the West, because we try to keep these things separate. Mm -hmm. uh, so both parts, uh, both parties focus on what uh, their main expertise is, yeah. and internally they talk to each other a lot. Okay, inside mm -hmm. the company. Um, and that's how it works actually quite well. I know of comp other companies who do it differently, mm -hmm. but at least in our case, it works well. And I think it's also an attractive uh, selling point for a lot of our customers. Uh, how And right. oftentimes they can deal with somebody that uh, is from the same culture. They are in the same time zone. Mm -hmm. They speak the same language. Mm -hmm. uh, and that makes them feel very comfortable. Whereas the factories have the same thing. They also deal with people over there. Uh, but it obviously requires that our team needs to be good at that intercultural level, no? I mean, uh, uh, so probably our team here is quite uh, used to dealing with the team in Shanghai, and the team in Shanghai is very used to dealing with the team in Europe. And mm -hmm. so uh, we all, we both sides become a little bit uh, a hybrid side, a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, um, and that works well in our case. It takes away a lot of stress. For both our customers and our and the factories, yeah, yeah. So it creates like um, sort of decentralized work work culture. Yeah. So yes, it's yeah, yeah just one. And I feel like a lot of perhaps internal managers uh, who might be interacting with, between Shanghai and yeah. the UK. Yeah. I feel like we need to have a lot of cultural agility, agility yeah. in order yeah. to um, communicate effectively. Yeah. It's, it's worthwhile mentioning that um, a lot of people ask me. Uh, during the pandemic, how did you do that? No, because we didn't travel. But I mean, for us, the whole uh, working from distance is it's it's in our genes from from the very beginning. No, yeah. so uh, for a lot of people, uh, that new environment, that new way of working during the pandemic was quite a shock and needed the contact and all this, the constant contact, and we didn't have that. So we felt quite comfortable, and so our folks uh, are usually in contact by email, by WeChat, and these sort of things. Uh, and, and it works very well. So we didn't really suffer too much from that. And of course, after the pandemic, uh, for instance, this year we had folks over from Shanghai to celebrate our 20th anniversary. Mm -hmm. uh, we had an engineer visiting China to visit factories with yeah. in Shanghai. So we're back to normal. Of course, it was a challenge mm -hmm. and it was nicer to meet, but we were kind of used to this way. Yeah. So another question is, how do you assess the cultural fit between your organization and potential international suppliers? So would your Chinese branch um, look out for Chinese manufacturers or do you also partake in that? No, no. So we we strictly separate these things. I mean, for instance, when I when I travel to China, which is usually once a year, uh, when I travel to China personally, uh, I, I enjoy accompanying the team on factory visits, whether those are factories that we've been dealing with for many years and sort of catch up. And they're also happy to see us because uh, we were able to show our interest in them. And it's good for the relationship with uh, suppliers. But I particularly enjoy very much whenever there's a new project. 
because then it's sort of a little bit different thing, something more innovative and and it's fun to to visit. I find it fun, maybe some people want it's very boring, but I find it fun to visit a wide variety of different uh, industrial activities uh, because you learn a lot. But, but very important, I would never impose what I would think would be the best supplier mm. uh, uh, because I'm not the best qualified for that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I can give ideas, I can give recommendations, I can say to the team, mm. you know what, what I like about this one is so and so because I obviously know them, the customer here. But uh, the last uh, the the last some words about uh, selecting a factory is always in the hands of the local team, right? And it for, uh, because they would have to deal with them on a daily basis, not me. Right. So uh, so I leave that in their hands. I give them autonomy. Yes, right. That's great. It makes like cultural uh, integration easier, easier yes. for your employees yeah. across the branches. Um, just one more question for me. Um, how do you engage and motivate your teams, like considering like the potential cultural um, diversity within the departments? So how would you like motivate your team to do a fitness? Well, it's it's a, also a good question because uh, um, having people in very different cultures, it's uh, it's not obvious. Uh, I mean, the... What, what motivates people on one side might not motivate them on the other side. No? Yeah. I think it's a constant learning process. Yeah. Uh, it's maybe a silly thing, but uh, in the, with the team um, in, in, in Spain, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, Christmas, we tend, to, we tend to give them all, and you kind of probably laugh, we we gotta, we usually give them, a, you know, like a ham, one of these. Yeah. <laughs> really delicious. Um, so that's a very nice gift. It's not uh, cheap, uh, yeah. Uh, but it's people. People appreciate that. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, and I get myself one as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. But now we also have the the Chinese team in these type. Of, I mean, for them, for them, Christmas is not the same celebration uh, yeah. as as this may be uh, for us. But um, so I I told them, why don't you uh, try to look for something? We're not going to send you anything from here because it would be a nightmare in terms of customs. Yeah. But uh, why don't you look for already imported stuff mm -hmm. uh, and see if there's anything that you like. But I thought maybe there's nothing that they will like, but they immediately said, oh, great. We'll get some Spanish wine. And <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very good. Funny how certain things do motivate uh, wherever you are, yeah. but you always have to kind of, it's a bit of trial and error as well, mm -hmm. don't it? Yeah, uh, and um, I mean, because there might be people as well who might say, you know what, just keep the ham and send me the money. No? Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's no. Eventually, people see that you care and yeah. that they uh, they appreciate that. Yeah, uh, and I think that's fairly universal. Yeah, it's also true that uh, I mean, everybody in the team has been uh, either with the company for some years. So they're used to interact in, in, with with different uh, cultures. Yeah. Um, we try to have people who do have a bit of a background of knowing how to deal with these things. Now, mm. so then you avoid a lot of the sort of the sharp edges. No? So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And for the last question, what advice would you give to the people who would want to go into the field and um, to your field of work? Well, definitely, I I would say go for it. Um, I mean, I've always been in international business, and as I always joke, 
it has allowed me to travel around the world mm. um, uh, and somebody else paid for my tickets. So. Oh, oh. <laughs> Business class? But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the, the the thing is definitely so many nice things to see in the world. Obviously, there are days when you travel that it's not so pleasant when you miss a flight or there's a delay or whatever. I mean, I've spent a lot of hours in, in certain airports and then I thought, what am I doing? So, <laughs> uh, but overall, I think... I definitely would give that as an advice and uh, uh, grab that opportunity with both hands uh, because there's a lot to see in the world and you you will probably you'll have to work hard everywhere if you want to achieve something yeah. but if that gets combined with uh, then also seeing a little bit of the world mm-hmm. that is that is definitely a big plus yeah. so and then and the fact of course that that would be the second point you end up dealing with people around the globe it's not just so much only visiting places I remember, I remember being invited for dinner in Tokyo at somebody's home. No, mm-hmm. um, and it was such a crazy experience, among others, because the language barrier was huge. My <laughs> <laughs> Japanese is non-existing. <laughs> These sort of experiences, they're priceless. No, right? right. Yes. Uh, particularly when you're young, you should definitely. Thing try to uh, combine the possibility of maybe developing a career, but at the same time traveling a lot. I think that was all for the questions. Uh, Thank you very much, Tom, for the insightful information about international sourcing and culture. This was Nerea, Ella, and Olivia with our guest, Tom Vander Hayden. We hope you learned a a little bit more about international sourcing on Ben's radio show. And we thank you and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Here we go. Stargate. Another short fly hit. We get it out as every night. When that moon is big and bright as a supernatural wild delight. Everybody's dancing in the moonlight. Here we go.
106.9 NLive.
This is Emmanuel and uh, with me there is Hasina and Ahmed. We are from the University of Northampton, the students from the course BA International Business Management. Uh, we are here for the part of uh, part of a radio interview with Ms. Muhammad Sajawal Khan and the company name is E-Style Private Limited from Lahore. Uh, let's talk with the uh, Sajawal Khan uh, to talk about his company. Hi guys, uh, thank you so much for having me here. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the company and what we do. So, Style Private Limited is basically a multi-vendor uh, B2B and B2C platform where we have an online platform where we have uh, multiple brands that are selling their clothing online just like Shopify but the, the unique value proposition that we are trying to provide is to help people um, you know try their clothing on their uh, physical bodies just using their mobile cameras um, Thank you for the introductions so I want to go with the questions now like I want to firstly I want to ask about the marketing fields like how do your company do the marketing about your business in international markets? Um, thank you for the question. It's a very good question, actually, because um, generally our company is basically marketing on several platforms that have come to international and local businesses. So for, for local marketing, obviously, we use different kinds of uh, marketing strategies, such as flyers, um, even talking to people. It's, it's, more, it's more PR-based, so because we have two yandras of our marketing, we have two customer bases. One is the one is the businesses, the second is the customers and customers. So for business marketing, we use a lot of tools such as um, we do target marketing, we do email marketing. Um, that's for for the B two B part of this whole thing. But for for the customer marketing, we normally use ads. So it's Facebook ads, Instagram ads, uh, sometimes even use Snapchat ads because a lot of people have been marketing on Snapchat and it has turned out to be one of the really good platforms when it comes to marketing for fashion because people with people with a good persona for for the ones having quite a lot of money are there on Snapchat. So Snapchat has been a good tool. So for B2C marketing, it's mostly the social platforms. And for B2B marketing, it's email marketing, it's HubSpot, it's CRMs, it's it's all of the customer funnel that we probably can have. Okay, now Emmanuel, go with uh, another one. Yeah, after Asina, I would like to ask you about the social cultural software of your company while doing marketing about particular product and about your company? Yeah, thank you for the question. It's a good question, actually. So, uh, generally, in my country, obviously, uh, the fashion industry, obviously, it's it's still growing. It's um, it's still in its, in its brink of becoming better and better. But uh, marketing for fashion still has its um, problems when it comes to hiring models, when it comes to doing all the photo shoots and everything. Then there's a lot of provokes that people have in terms of um, models being shown on different kinds of ads because not everybody is willing to see models uh, and, you know, uh, all of that marketing, and it's not very common. So uh, that's kind of like a cultural shock. People are still adapting to it, but it's a problem. When it comes to international marketing, obviously, uh, it's never been a problem uh, because the, the marketing and, and, the, and the visuals that we create are normally intended to be posted to international market. So, so that has never been a problem culturally. Most of the areas, for example, in the U.S., in the U.K., in the European countries, it's never been a problem. Yeah, but in the local, maybe in India and Pakistan, when we are marketing, um, some people do find some of the posts a little provoking. Yeah, that is quite an interesting part. I'm sharing to Ahmed. Please, what are the effect on your company with cultural difference on decision-making in international business? Yeah, so because we are a B2B and B2C company, um, obviously we need to think of to 
level of customers. So if you talk about B2C customers, obviously the cultural differences have a lot of impact in decision making because um, normally one company provides one service, but we're providing two. And in that case, we have two customer bases. So whenever we are looking at either of the customer side, all of the decision making is happening based on what the customers want. That's what how normally company runs. You don't make decisions because you want something. You make a decision because your customers want something. So when these cultural and these um, these social issues come into play, um, the bigger target audience, which is you know the B two C customers, um, they have a lot of impact on decision making. If they do not accept some kinds of marketing or some kinds of products that we launch, then we obviously have to make decisions in terms of changing those products to adapt better towards what people want. So yes. Um, these differences have a lot of impact on the screen making. Thank you for uh, answer. So now we move on next uh, question. So Hasina will ask next question. Thank you. Uh, as you told about the marketing in the different social platforms like Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, and many other platforms, uh, can I know how it had made difference in your business? Uh, yes, for sure. Um, it's a very good question, actually. It's because um, most of the marketing that is happening these days is digital because there are so many people using so many devices these days and everybody is always hooked up with the um, social platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and uh, WhatsApp and whatnot. So <clears throat> digital marketing is the, is the is the core marketing medium at you know in this era. And uh, this is the only platform that has changed. We can add Google Ads as well. Google, Google Ads is also very important. Even YouTube ads, ads is very important. So... Um, this has been our base medium because obviously uh, the, the hard print media that was being used in the past that was flyers and posters and banners it's very obsolete now people don't look at it and people don't look, uh, spend their time looking at these physical banners so um, obviously we have done a little bit of uh, the other marketing that includes social media influencing and stuff like that because that is also a very important kind of digital marketing uh, which I haven't had mentioned before which is um, hiring other social media influencers and you know to pay them to promote your brand promote your brand so it's 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 the core medium that we have used to market and it has changed and reshaped the overall industry drastically and it has done marvelous stuff for us as well Ezra will can explain about the marketing criteria on the different social platforms uh, I'm gonna pass my mic to um I'm not really about all the different questions we have. Thank you for giving me this chance. So the next question is, how does your company handle the cross-culture communication while doing business with cross-culture team in international level of markets? Yes, so whenever dealing with um, cross-culture teams and, and international levels of market, um it's mostly not that difficult because um, obviously there are some cultural differences um, which we need to keep in mind because obviously whenever we are selling to a uh, non-local or basically international market, uh, we need to consider their needs instead of um, building and doing stuff that we are doing for the local markets. So normally if we just talk about communication, um, we normally communicate in English because that is the most um, common mode of communication, and uh, if if any of the representatives of um, the other team they they don't speak English, they normally hire a person who can 
I will translate it for them. So yeah. I need little bit more information related to this question. So I need like uh, how you try to handle the objection of objection and rejection when you started up the business. A good question indeed. Rejections and objections that definitely is a part of any business because um a business is built up with not just one person but you know a set of stakeholders and you need to keep in mind um the opinions and the views of every person within the team within um the stakeholder part so um normally the most common way to resolve any kind of objections and and you know rejections or or anything that doesn't um fit within your current mindset is um to have votes and uh sometimes it's it's a unanimous decision sometimes there's votes and polling so if one of the team member thinks that this is going to be good for the company we raise um and we ask everybody to vote and in that way we try to mitigate all kinds of uh problems and all kinds of issues so um rejections normally come from the client side so rejection is a part of the journey you cannot um you know neglect rejections um we need to learn from them you need to know why the rejection came in the first place and if it's um if it's something that if if it came in because of something that you did you need to realize and understand that is um something you need to fix and what you need to do better in terms of not getting a rejection in the future so um rejections are a learning experience and um we always welcome them Thank you for explaining in detail. So, now we're getting at some points. So, now we move on to the next question. The next question is, how do you manage with the global economic trend which affect the marketing approach of your fashion technology company? So, to keep up with the global economic trends, um, one of the best and one of the most important things that any company needs to have is an R&D department, so research and development. Um, and we obviously do have an R&D department where we have a set of team that are obviously doing market research almost all the time um and the market research is based on what the current economic trends are what the current fashion trends are um it starts from just looking at what hashtags and and what search terms people are looking for towards you know actual global trends and numbers and and you know uh the changes in the international businesses so um the research and development team is what helps us um navigate through all of the decision making that we are doing in terms of uh planning the content planning the products uh making them shipping them um how the marketing is going to subsection into different parts of the world and uh and and you know from from product building to selling the, uh, selling the product everything is determined based on uh the reviews and based on the research and numbers that comes from the R&D department so yeah now I'm stopping by question is here and I give a chance to my colleague Abdul and he will ask some question thank you so I'm back again I would like to know about the company's power distribution among em- employees and management Can you share something with that? Yes, power is a very um important point indeed and 
I would like to mention and highlight this point, and we are really proud of it, that unlike many companies in our company, um, the one thing that we um, are very proud of is the flat hierarchy that we are trying to maintain. And by doing that, we make sure that if if a subordinate, uh, number one, there are no subordinates. If I'm just um, saying the term for the sake of saying it, and subordinates um, do not feel like they're subordinates, and seniors don't feel like they have to rule a set of subordinates. So um, the, the the concept of superordinates and subordinates is something that we have completely neglected. Um, obviously, there are titles, um, but everybody um, call their subordinates or subordinates by their by their names, and anybody can reach anybody if there's something that they need to discuss. So, uh, if I'm the CEO of the company, anyone from from the junior management, from the development side, from the marketing side, can reach out to me directly and ask me questions and raise issues and point uh, fingers if need be, and. Uh, and same goes if I need to ask something from any of the people. Um, there is no shame. There is no um, barrier. And obviously it has its goods and bads. Every every um, thing that we normally do and implement, everything has a good and bad. But over the years we have realized that having a flat hierarchy and having an openness of opinions is much better. It has more plus points compared to having a very strict um, strict um, culture that most of the businesses and most of the companies, most of the corporate people, they employ. Yeah, that is perfectly all right. We are interested to hear about the strategies of the company employed to build the hierarchical gaps and encourage open communication. Yeah, exactly. So this question is again linked to the previous question where I um, just elaborated how the company's hierarchical structure is based and as it's a flat hierarchy again um, this encourages open communication because the hierarchy is flat so nobody um, feels shy talking or discussing about anything with anyone um, definitely there are limitations to that we, it's not it's not 100% um, filterless so no, nobody can come and yell at me or something like that there are obviously some set of rules and some set of um, some sort of instructions on how to communicate uh, no matter if the person is a junior or a senior um, and then obviously there is there is a power structure that even if the openness to communication is there um, there is sometimes more power associated with the roles that we associate with some people and there is less power associated with some other roles so, in terms of communication, everything is completely flat. But when it when it comes to access management, when it comes to decision making, when it comes to power, definitely some titles and roles have um, have more compared to the others. And that is nice to hear from you, Sajavat. And how does you how does your company deal with the encouraging innovation and adaptation, considering with the various cultural change in the sales of fashion technology? Yes, good question. So, um, because a company is a technological company, it's a tech startup, um, innovation, change, that is something that we thrive on. Because as a startup, if you don't um, look towards 
what the client or what the customer is is demanding you can never be successful it's a completely feedback oriented um company and it it, it it thrives on you know you know customers feedback so we build something we roll it out the customers test it and based on their feedback based on the data that we can collect from from devices or or from their from their questionnaires or whatever we have uh, in terms of you know collecting feedback from the customers we use all of the data to to make decisions and to you know uh, put the company in the position where in the future more and more customers would want to buy so um, we completely um welcome innovation and most of the products that we have built um are being built by the most um advanced most open source and um the latest technologies and um innovation is being done and implemented in the company every day yeah that that one you have perfectly expressed and there is one more question a uh, questionnaire in my hand is that what are the main cultural intolerances to the company while doing a business internationally so obviously there are lots lots of cultural intolerances because where we are doing business internationally we need to consider um what kinds of marketing strategy what kind of products what kind of services we are giving to you know basically every um international market international sector because in fashion if you're not tailored towards the needs of the customers of a specific region you would basically fail so now let's say um if i do a target market um for for rome in italy and i start selling products that are tailored and custom built for people in let's say mumbai india um obviously that marketing strategy and that marketing um gimmick is going to fail because when that kind of product is not suited for that kind of customer base so um the in, the intolerances in terms of the rejections that we might face are to be very sure about um what are the needs of the people within a specific region and we need to keep in mind that we need to focus on those people and we need to have a very custom tailored experience for everyone in in a specific region so so it's very important to keep in mind um that when you're doing business internationally you cannot generalize it towards everyone you have to be specific especially in the terms of being a fashion um marketplace thank you for the most valuable time you provide for us uh we enjoy learning more about the marketing and sales about your company and how you do the marketing in the international level and how marketing is important in an business uh, to run this so want to say thank you for everything and lives community notice board sponsored by voluntary impact northamptonshire supporting existing and helping to launch good neighbor schemes across northampton home start northampton supports families with young children they provide expert support helping families through their challenging times home start is there for parents when they need them the most because childhood can't wait volunteers offer support friendship and practical help to families under stress in their own homes preventing family crisis and breakdown if you are a parent, 
parent, grandparent or step-parent with experience of young children and family life and are able to visit a Northampton family for two to three hours each week, then get in contact. Call them on 01604 627 692. NLive's Community Notice Board, sponsored by Voluntary Impact Northamptonshire, supporting existing and helping to launch good neighbour schemes across Northampton. To get your message on air, email noticeboard at nliveradio.com. 106.9 NLive. When your business teams up with Unitemps, you get access to some of the top graduates the University of Northampton has to offer. High-caliber staff right here on your doorstep. Unitemps is committed to finding you the right candidates for the positions you've got available, making filling full or part-time or even temporary jobs simple, whilst ensuring you've a talent pool for the future. Unitemps Northampton sees tomorrow's leaders today. Visit unitemps.co.uk and click Northampton. Hey, you. Yes, you there. Are you listening to this? Well, if you're listening, so are potential customers to your shop, business or service. Advertising on NLive is easy and good value. It's a great way to reach new customers, let them know about who you are and what you do. And radio advertising works. Radio has the power to entertain, educate and engage an audience. And with advertising on NLive, that same audience could become your customers. For more information, contact sales at nliveradio.com. When business owners, directors and key decision makers want to know what's happening in Northamptonshire, they turn to Business Times. Over 10,000 copies are delivered every month and the pages are filled with positive local business stories. Respected, trusted and always relevant. Business Times is the perfect way to get your business in front of the people that matter. So get Business Times working for you. Click business-times.co.uk. Business Times. Positive about business in North Hands. At NNBN, we support local businesses, charities, and organizations. We bring local people together. We promote growth and success, and we support our members. NNBN has a proven track record in helping members of our community get seen and be heard. It costs from just £20 a month to become a member, and you'll benefit from advertising, events, engagement, support, and money-saving discounts. If you're a local business, charity, or organization, join us today at nnbn.co.uk. 106.9 106.9 N Live, connecting Northampton. You, you're such a big star to me. You're everything I wanna be. But just look in a hole. And I want you to get out. I don't know what there is to see. But I know it's time for you to leave. We're all just pushing along. Trying to figure it out, out, out All your anticipation pulls you down When you can have it all You can have it all So come on, so come on Get it on I don't know what you're waiting for Your time is coming, don't be late So come on, see the light on your face Let it shine It's not good for your health I know that you can change So clear your head and come round You only have to open your eyes 
tried to make your love Till everything's forgotten I know you hate that
said what I said. I'd rather be famous instead. I let all that get to my head. I don't care. I paint the town red. Trick. I said what I said. I'd rather be famous instead. I let all that get to my head. I don't care. I paint the town red. Sweet. 
6.9. We're connecting Northampton and live.
that you're never alone In me you can find a home When you're in unfamiliar places Count on me through life's changes
106.9 NLive. Northampton's own 106.9 NLive. From the Sky News Centre at nine, the father of a baby girl whose birth certificate was apparently defaced after sending it to the passport office says being Jewish in the UK is getting worse. The document was returned with his place of birth Israel scribbled out. The newborn's dad is now calling on the government to sack the person responsible. I don't think my five-month-old baby did anything wrong to anybody. Maybe just woke me up in the night, but nothing more than that. I just, I felt horrendous. The Home Office has launched an investigation. The mother of Nottingham attack victim Barnaby Webber says she burst into tears when she found out his killer's sentence is being reviewed. The hospital order handed to Valdo Calocane, who fatally stabbed three people last June, has been referred to the Court of Appeal. A body's been found in the search for the Clapham chemical attack suspect. It's believed Abdulazidi had been wearing the distinctive clothing after throwing a substance on his ex-partner last month. The body shop's closed several of its stores for good this evening and warned it'll shut nearly half of the remaining branches in the coming months. The retailer set out a restructuring plan after collapsing into administration last week. Sports Manchester City are looking for a win that would take them to within a point of Premier League leader as Liverpool. They're facing Brentford at the Etihad Stadium and Peter Smith is there. And they've just gone ahead. They lead by one goal to nil with City finding the breakthrough on 70 minutes through Erling Haaland. He hadn't previously scored against Brentford. He's now scored against every single Premier League team. He fastened on to a through ball from Alvarez. His pace took him in behind the Brentford defence before another clinical finish. It's City 1, Brentford nil. And it's widely reported that Kylian Mbappe has agreed to join Real Madrid in a move described as the most expensive free transfer ever. It's been suggested the France striker will receive £128 million. That's the latest. I'm Fader Silver.